Good morning, Southview. My name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're so excited to have you worshiping with us today. My wife, Marie, and I, unfortunately, are not able to be with you today. We're traveling out of the country, helping train some pastors in South America, but we know you're praying for us, and we know today is going to be amazing. As you begin worshiping with us, we have just a few announcements I want you to know. It is quickly approaching time for Vacation Bible School. If you would like to be a part of serving in VBS this year, you can simply text the letters VBS to our number 910-424-1298. We have plenty of options for you to choose from. You're not going to want to miss this great opportunity to serve children in our area. And we have a great Easter weekend planned for you April 7th, 8th, and 9th. It begins Friday night, April 7th, with a worship experience right here in our church. And then April 8th, we're having a church-wide picnic. We'd love for you and your family to be a part. You can reserve your spot and sign up to help serve by texting the word picnic to our number, 910-424-1298. And then we'll all be back here Easter Sunday morning, 930 and 11, worshiping Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Guys, you are not going to want to miss this year's men's retreat, September 29th through October 2nd. This weekend promises to be life-changing. You can sign up by texting the word RETREAT to our number, 910-424-1298. The cost is $175 for men, $110 for youth boys, and the deposit is $50. We hope to see it. For all of our other announcements, to get plugged in with a group, and to find previous sermons, messages, sermon notes, you can download our app. It's the best way to stay connected with us, iTunes or Google Play. Download it today. And we have numerous ways for you to give here at South. You can give online through the app, or you can give in the giving boxes, which are located at either door as you exit the sanctuary today. And if you are a guest with us today, we would love to connect with you, learn more about you, and see how we can better minister to you. Your first step in that is by texting the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. We look forward to hearing from you today. And for all of you, we're so glad that you're here. I love you, I miss you, I'm praying for you, and I know you're going to be blessed by the service. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Well, I want to welcome you to Southview Baptist Church. If you're a guest with us today, man, I want you to know I'm so excited you're here. Um, I am not the guy on the screen. That's Pastor Brad. My name is Ryan. I am the student pastor here, the pastor of student discipleship here at Southview. But man, I want to let you guys know I'm excited you're here, excited to get to be with you. Uh, I do want to add one quick announcement to what you saw on the screen. So if you're a, men, a, a man here, if you want to be a part of our men's ministry, we got a group of guys who are going to be heading out to Wilson on April 29th. They're going to be getting together just to eat some barbecue. They're heading out there. What they want to do is go, uh, they want to rent a bus and all ride out there together to have a good time of fellowship. Uh, the issue is they got to get the rental. And so it's April 29th, but if you're planning on going, they really need you to register by noon tomorrow. Okay, so if you want to go to the men's, uh, go hang out with the guys, uh, go get some barbecue on April 29th, you need to register by noon when? 
tomorrow. Okay, so you can do that right now. Just text the word BUS, B-U-S, to the church number 910-424-1298. Again, just text the word BUS to 910-424-1298. Get that in before noon tomorrow. That's really going to help, uh, help them out in getting that set up. All right. Uh, David says in Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and great is his unsearchableness. And that church is, is what we're going to do right now. Uh, we're, we're going to sing and shout praises to our God because he is great and he is worthy to be praised. And so I want to invite you to stand and, and join us and sing with us now. Good morning, church. Are you ready to praise God this morning? Amen. Fire 
You may be seated. probably know uh, Pastor Brad and the team are uh, on their way back from South America. Actually, right before last service, um, I got a, a text message from them saying that they have uh, landed in Miami and they got a layover. They're waiting for a flight back to Raleigh. So uh, y'all continue to keep them in your prayers as uh, they just have safe travels back home. Um, but I want to uh, encourage and direct our prayers this morning. Uh, yes, to Brad and the team coming home, but but more importantly, uh, to the people they left back in South America. They, for the past two weeks, they've been, uh, they've been training pastors in Bolivia and South America. And, uh, and what's, what's happened is they've gone into a city and there's been uh, pastors from the city, pastors from the surrounding area, other villages come traveling in to hear them. And, uh, and they've been meeting with them and teaching them specifically how to, uh, how to read and interpret and understand God's word. Uh, how, how to rightfully teach it so that these guys can then go back to their, to their homes, the cities, villages, wherever they're from, and that they'll be able to teach and train uh, other believers and Christians there from God's word. And so what I want to direct our minds to as we just pray for them and just say, God, would you bless the work that's been done these past two weeks? Would you bless the teaching of your word? Would you empower these men to then go back and to uh, powerfully and rightfully declare your word? And would we see great things? happen there in South America. So I want to pray for that. And then I also want to pray for you. Um, I think every time that we have, uh, we have an opportunity like this where we have a team that goes out from the church, they're going out on mission. I think it's a great chance for us to look at ourselves and say, God, am I faithfully living on mission right now? Not, not in that I'm specifically being called to South America or being sent out to somewhere else, but God, am I being faithful where you have me right now? Am I being faithful in the workplace? Am I being faithful in my neighborhood, faithful uh, in the school or wherever it is that God has you? And so I just want to, uh, just as I'm going to pray, I just ask you guys pray with me. And I would ask God just to direct your mind towards those things, that you would pray for the pastors there in Bolivia and South America, that they would go and powerfully proclaim the gospel and God's word and that we would also do the same where God has us. So let's pray now. God, I thank you. Uh, Lord, I thank you for, uh, for giving us the resources and, 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 for, um, and for giving us uh, people that even when uh, Pastor Brad is gone, Lord, as you keep things functioning and you have a team here, God, I thank you that you uh, gave them the ability to go and travel overseas, that they can uh, get to go and see your mission at large. God, we pray for the work that was done there over the past two weeks for these men and women who were studying the Bible. God, I pray that uh, they would have the gospel readily on their lips, that they would go and faithfully proclaim what you, what you teach us, what's in your word. And we pray for a movement of your spirit there in South America, Lord, that we would see uh, through these men, Lord, just a, a great movement of God, that we would see many people come to know you through that. Lord, we just ask that and pray that over South America. And for us, God, Lord, I pray that as we look at our own lives and we look where you've positioned us here uh, in Hope Mills, in Fayetteville, at Fort Bragg, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our home, God, I pray that we would be faithful to share your gospel, Lord, that we would be faithful to boldly proclaim uh, who you are and what you've done. And so, God, I ask that now for us this morning, and I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be continuing our study through the book of Colossians. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Colossians chapter 2. 
And, uh, and, and as you're turning there, um, I got to thinking earlier this week, and, and I got to thinking about how, you know, there's, there's certain things that are just universally agreed upon truths. Okay, can we, can we acknowledge that? There's certain things that are just universally agreed upon truths. You're like, well, I'm not sure. Let's, let's see where we go from here. Okay, here's the first one. Um, for instance, it is a universally agreed upon truth that um, when a kid begins to talk, anybody got kids here? All right, it is a, it is a universal truth that when a kid begins to talk, sooner than later, they will bluntly and brutally destroy the self-confidence of their parent. True? All right, so the, the other morning I'm sitting, um, I'm sitting on the couch, and uh, it's about 7 in the morning, and I'm sitting on the couch, and our, our boys, Canaan and Shepard, they come out of the room, they come up, they climb in my lap. I'm like, oh, this is such a sweet moment. And then Shepard, our youngest, he, he points at my stomach and goes, baby? And, uh, and, and the, my oldest son, Canaan, without missing a beat, he just immediately goes, no, Shepard, Dad, does, does, he doesn't have a baby. He just got a fat belly. I was like, gosh, I was not expecting to get roasted by a four-year-old at seven in the morning. But, you know, there you go. So, uh, okay, next one. The next universal fact that, uh, is that everything tastes better with bacon. Okay, true? All right, there, there, there's no debate, right? If you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry. If you're a vegan, I'm praying for you, okay? Um, uh, another one, uh, another universally agreed upon truth. Hollywood should stop remaking movies and just do something original. Is that true? All right. Hey, do y'all know that there's eight different Cinderella movies? There's eight. I mean, how many times can this girl keep losing her shoes? But uh, anyways, um, okay, here's another fact for you. You cannot survive without your head. True? Anybody want to test it? Right? It's a universally agreed upon truth that you cannot survive without your head. There is, however, one slight exception. Chickens. If you cut off a chicken's head, it will still be able to run around for a short period of time. In fact, actually, here in the 1940s, in the U.S. of A., there was a, uh, a, a controlled experiment with a chicken named Mike. They called him Mike. And so, uh, and so Mike, uh, Mike got his head cut off, and, uh, and then they sealed the wounds, and Mike was able to live for 18 months with no head. He, he had just enough of his brainstem intact, which kept his central nervous system going, telling his heart to beat and his lungs to breathe. And, uh, and they fed him with an, eye drump, an eyedropper through a, a lump in his, uh, a stump in his neck. Uh, but, but old Mike, he lived for 18 months with no head. Now, he didn't do much, <laughs> all right? He, he wasn't running around. Uh, he, he couldn't see, he couldn't hear, he couldn't talk. But he was alive. And I, I think, church, this morning that, that many of us, if we're honest, we might be Christians and we might have been made alive in Christ, but if we're honest, we're like Mike here. And we've been cut off from the head who is Jesus. And without Jesus, we're alive, but we're not doing much. So Colossians chapter 2. We're starting in verse 16. If you're with me, say word. All right, here we go. Let's get into it. Paul says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." And this morning, church, what I want us to look at in God's Word, what I want us to see is the danger of headless Christianity. The danger of headless Christianity. And and our key passage we're going to be going back to is verse 19 there. I want you to hear it again. And it says, They were doing all these things and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. And the first thing I want us to see, the first danger of headless Christianity is idolatry. There is a danger of us falling into idolatry either through self-worship and legalism or idol worship. And so we're going to get into that. But before we do, what I want to do is I want to set the stage with what's going on in Colossians. I want to present the Colossian problem, what they were facing, what the false teachers were bringing there, what Paul is combating against in his letter here. So we're going to set the stage and then we're going to bring it back to us. Y'all tracking with me? Y'all tracking? Okay, here we go. So it says in, in uh, Colossians um, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8, step back just a little bit in the book, go to verse 8. And Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so for the Colossians, they had false teachers, and their false teachers were teaching things that were three separate things. They were one human, right? Verse 8 says they were according to human tradition. They were elementary, not as in preschool, elementary school, but as in, in the Jewish context, that word always is in reference to the elemental spirits of the world. So uh, these, uh, these angels, these demons, these spiritual beings. So they were from human tradition, these elemental spirits, and more importantly, they were non-Christian. They were not according to Christ. And so Paul takes these teachings, and he essentially breaks them down into two categories, and he says the, the Colossian church is being taken captive by human tradition and submission to supernatural spirits, angels and demons. And then in the following verses, he responds to those two, um, to the, the, those two problems, right? Um, and he says in regards to human tradition, um, which is the law, as we're going to see, he says Christ is sufficient, In regards to supernatural spirits, he says Christ is sovereign, right? Christ is sufficient and Christ is sovereign, right? And so in in saying that Christ is sufficient, what Paul means is he's saying Christ is sufficient to satisfy the demands of the law, right? Look in verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says, in him, right, that's Christ, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, 
And so Paul immediately moves into addressing the topic of circumcision. And, and what, based on what we know from the area of Colossae, we know that there was a large number of Jewish people there who had gathered. And we can safely assume, based on Paul's arguments here, that there's a large number of Jewish people who are in the church at Colossae. And one of the main teachings uh, here that is deceiving the people, Paul says, is based off of human tradition. And in verse 11, what we learn more specifically is that, that the human tradition Paul is referring to is specifically um, those Jewish believers who were still trying to cling to the law of Moses. And so he hits it directly with circumcision, right? If, if you don't know, circumcision is the very first requirement of the law for any Jewish male. If you were a Jewish male, your very first fulfillment requirement of the law was to be circumcised. It was to be circumcised after seven days of birth. On the eighth day, you would be circumcised. This was every Jewish man's first requirement of the law. And what Paul does in verse 11 is he completely dismantles this tradition. And he says that, no, 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 don't worry about the bodily circumcision, but you need to be circumcised in Christ. Right? Not physically, right? He, he put, the, put off the body of the flesh, right? Reject the body of the flesh, but receive the circumcision that is made without hands. And Paul is not just speaking to the Gentiles here who weren't circumcised, but Paul is speaking to the Jewish people there. Paul speaking to himself who was a Jew of Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. And he's telling them that your tradition of physical circumcision does not save you. What you, what you need, what brings salvation is the circumcision that's made without hands. It's the circumcision of the heart, and that's through Christ. And so he says that in verse 11, and in verse 13, he goes on and he says, not only has Christ been sufficient for circumcision, but now you, through Christ, you've been forgiven from all of your trespasses. Well, how? Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So what's, what's the point here? The point is that you and I have committed trespasses. Okay, what have we trespassed against? God's law, right? We are all guilty. We have all broken God's law. But through Christ, we've been forgiven from our trespasses against God's law. And that record of our debt, right, the list of all of your, your wrongs, your mistakes, your sin, it's been deleted, right? It's, it's been canceled. It's been erased. How? It was nailed to the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. Jesus' sacrificial death, when he was up there on the cross, he shouted out, Tetelestai, paid in full, it's done. He paid the cost for the legal demands of your sin. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, Jesus, he's sufficient to satisfy the demands of the law. He's sufficient to satisfy what the law says you owe. Jesus paid it. He's sufficient. And then he says, no, not just is, he, is Jesus sufficient, but Jesus is sovereign, right? When we look at the Colossian church, there were false teachers advocating adherence to human tradition, right? Specifically the Mosaic law, but they were also teaching according to the elemental spirits in the world. And, and here again, he's talking about these angels, these demons, these spiritual beings, and there seemed to be in the Colossian church some sort of worship or veneration of these things. And Paul answers them too. Look at verse 9 and 10. Paul tells us that in Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily, and we have been filled with Christ, and Christ has been made the head, the ruler over all other rulers and authorities. Then look at verse 15. 
Um, thanks to the cross, Jesus has now disarmed those very same rulers and authorities, and he's put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And so what the false teachers taught, to, they were teaching to worship angels and demons, these spiritual beings, and Paul says, Jesus, he's got authority over them. Right? Why are you looking to them when Jesus has already triumphed over them? He's already defeated them on the cross. So it's not just Christ is sufficient, but no, Christ is sovereign. He's above all rule and authority. So now, verse 16. Therefore, right, therefore, because Christ is sufficient, because Christ is sovereign, let no one judge you or pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. And here, we start to receive more specifics about this false teaching among the Colossians, right? And Paul gives them two specific commands. He says, let no one pass judgment on you, let no one disqualify you. And as we examine these commands, we start to see more of what the false teachers were preaching, right? First, Paul says, um, let no one pass judgment on you in what? In regards to four things, food and drink, festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. You can break those down into two categories. Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in regards to diet, in regards to days, right? When it comes to diet, this was an extremely emotionally charged issue for, uh, for Jewish Christians, Christians coming out of a Jewish background. And, and just think about it. Their entire lives, they've been taught under the law of Moses to avoid certain foods as unclean. So for them to now be thinking about eating some of these unclean foods or even associating and fellowshipping with people who were eating unclean foods, it made them very uncomfortable. There's also a group of Christians who came from Gentile backgrounds, and they saw it from a completely different perspective to where they knew that many of the, uh, the, the butchers and many of the, the food producers and the markets, they know that many of them had offered that food and sacrificed to an idol or, or blessed it through an idol prior to bringing it to market, and they used to worship those idols. And so these Gentile believers are saying, no, 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 I can't go eat that because I know that they've given that as, a, as an offering to an idol. And, and, the other, and other believers were saying, well, that's okay, it's still food, I'm going to eat it. And then Jewish believers were saying, no, no, I, I can't eat that, it's unclean food. And other Christians were saying, it's okay, it's food, I'm still going to eat it. And so you had a massive disagreement and differences of opinion over things regarding diet. One of the examples that comes to my mind is, uh, is Starbucks. Starbucks, don't throw things at me. But uh, well, when it comes to Christians today, many Christians despise Starbucks. And I'm not talking about you coffee aficionados who like, they don't know how to roast a bean, you know, whatever. Like Starbucks is not for you. Okay. Starbucks is for people who like cream and sugar. Okay. It's not for you. But when it comes to Starbucks, many Christians despise the company because of what they stand for, what they advocate, what their PR team says. And so they say, I'm going to refuse to go there. On the other end of the spectrum, there are Christians who would agree with everything the other Christians have said, but say, you know what, at the end of the day, it's just coffee, and I'm still going to have a caramel macchiato, right? And so this was the Colossian church. 
Some people really loved bacon. Others thought the thought of bacon made them sick. Some people were on a war path against certain meat producers. Others were fine just eating at a restaurant. But Paul says when it comes to matter of food and drink, don't let anyone judge you. Also, many in the Colossian church seem to be concerned about keeping certain religious days and festivals. Again, we see this um, through multiple perspectives. For the Gentiles, there was a question of whether or not the church could still participate in any pagan holidays at large, right? Could there, was there any societal uh, holidays, festivities that the church could still participate in? A uh, thought that comes to my mind is Halloween, right? When we think about Halloween, many Christians are divided on it. Some say it's the worship in the devil, it's witchcraft, it's sorcery. I don't want my kids a part of it. They're not going to participate in it. I'm not going to be a part of it. Other Christians say, yeah, yeah, I hear all that, but at the end of the day, it's just about kids who want candy. I'm going to do that. And so there's massive division there when it comes to do we participate in any the, in the of these pagan holidays. Um, also, for the Jews, the whole in Jewish ethnic, their culture was driven by days of celebration and feasts that were commanded to them throughout the Old Testament, going back to Leviticus 23, uh, going back to Numbers 10 and 28. Um, for them, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just like, do we celebrate President's Day or not, but it was, well, do we have Christmas, right? This was a major cultural shift in, in giving up to or adhering to these holidays and these festivals and these specific days. Even the Gentile believers and uh, Jewish believers, they disagreed on when to have church. Many Jews wanted to have church on Saturday, which the Jews had historically had their Sabbath on, and others were having church on Sunday. And so there was massive disagreements uh, within the body, massive differences of opinions amongst the Colossian church, specifically in regards to diet and days. And Paul's response to them is verse 17. Look at it. He says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Uh, I read for you also Hebrews 10.1. Uh, the, the author of Hebrews says, law has but a shadow of the good things to come. And Paul's saying you guys are arguing about all of these things, but none of these things ultimately matter. He says there's, there's no substance in them. He says they're shadows. And I was thinking about what is a shadow? Well, a shadow is a reflection of an object, right? My oldest son, Canaan, has just learned that he can make shadow puppets on the wall. And so he likes to take his little flashlight with him to bed. And I can hear Canaan and Shepard cracking up in their room when he's messing around with it. But, but when you think about it, the shadow on the wall is nothing. You can't grab it, right? You can't hold the shadow. All the shadow does is tell you that something is making the shadow. It points you to the reality. And what Paul is telling the Colossians is the reality is Christ, right? The law existed, the special dietary laws, the, the special days and festivals. All of these things were meant to lead you and point you to Jesus, Right? So don't let anyone judge you on these inconsequential tertiary matters. He says, you cling to Jesus. You grab hold of him. He's the substance. So he says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. But then he also says, don't let anyone disqualify you. And he breaks this down into three areas. He says, don't let anyone disqualify you on the grounds of asceticism, angel worship, and visions. And this is really where the false teaching begins to take shape. It starts off with asceticism, and this was the practice of denying the body, right? Verse 23 refers to it as severity to the body. 
And this happened throughout church history. It happens in other religions. And it typically takes the form of extreme deprivation, whether that's through prolongated fasting, right, not eating, or, or even not, not drinking water for long periods of time, De, um, extreme deprivation of sleep, right, deprivation of comfort, such as clothes or warmth, um, beds, shoes. Some people would actually whip themselves and beat themselves, right? These were ascetic practices and they were meant to make the individual more spiritual. They were meant to remove the person more from this world and get them focused more on, on, on more spiritual things. Um, and, and, and what the interesting thing here is that the word, the Greek word used for asceticism actually means false humility. It means false humility. And what Paul is saying to these people is he's saying, you're, you're depriving yourselves. Uh, you're trying to make yourself seem less, but in doing so, they were only thinking more of themselves, right? In, in, in denying and depriving themselves, they were only elevating themselves more through their false humility. And then he, he mentions angel worship, and that's pretty straightforward for us. Again, these false teachers have been worshiping angels and demons and these other spiritual powers, right? Those are those same elemental spirits of the world that Paul mentioned earlier. And then he says they're going on and on about visions, and so here's what we can reasonably assume about this false teaching in the Colossian church, is that there were some people enforcing an extremely ascetic lifestyle in pursuit of worshiping these spiritual beings, and likely due to lack of food, water, sleep, these people would induce themselves to experience these visions or hallucinations. And Paul says that these visions puff up without reason by their sensuous, that is fleshly or sinful, mind. So to put it simply, these false teachers were practicing false humility, seeking to worship angels, desiring to experience visions, and these experiences gave them a false pride, which led to arrogance. And it is a false pride because Paul says that they're puffed up without reason, right? If you're a professional athlete, you can be prideful. Doesn't mean it's right for you to be prideful, but you can be prideful because guess what? There's a basis for your pride. You're a professional athlete. What Paul is saying is that these false teachers were puffed up with pride over nothing. They had nothing to be prideful about, but they were filled with it nonetheless. False teachers with false humility, with false pride, leading to a spirit of arrogance and division. And say, so how do we know that? Because of the commands Paul just gave us. He says, let no one judge and let no one disqualify. Who do you think was doing that? <laughs> these people were puffed up with pride within the church judging others who did not think as they did and disqualifying others who did not act as they did. So if you did not live the same ascetic lifestyle as them, if you weren't worshiping angels, if you weren't experiencing visions, then they questioned your salvation. They sought to disqualify you from God's grace because you weren't showing the evidence they claimed you needed. And this is why verse 19 is so key here. Because he says, these people were focusing on your diet, on religious days, on asceticism, angel worship, visions, all these things. But verse 19, and they were not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. This is now the third time in Colossians that Paul has referenced Jesus' headship. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, and, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
in chapter 2, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority. And now again in verse 19. And what Paul is saying to the Colossian church is that they're clinging and looking to all of these many different things, but they've rejected the most important thing, right? Indeed, the only thing, Christ. He says they've lost their head. I mentioned to you guys the dangers of headless Christianity, and the first danger is idolatry. And I think we'll see that take the two forms of either self-worship or actual idol worship, which makes sense, right? Because if you're not worshiping God, you're either worshiping yourself or you're worshiping something else besides God, and that's an idol. If we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves or something else. And the Colossians were doing both. They fell into self-worship and legalism. And ultimately, when we look at legalism, what it boils down to is adding man's effort with God's. It is trusting in anything that man has done over or in addition to what Christ has done. Because remember, um, for Paul, this wasn't a trivial topic for him. This wasn't just about died and days, but for Paul, this had become a salvation issue because these false teachers at Colossae were disqualifying people. They were discrediting their faith and leading other believers astray. Right? If you did not, be, if you did not uh, join into these external practices or, or beliefs, they were disqualifying their faith, and these people were ultimately trusting in their own works. And Paul says, no. No, you've, you've forgotten Christ, right? He's the head. He's the one who's greater. He's preeminent. Remember when Paul or when Pastor Brad preached through uh, uh, Colossians 1, and he talked about that word preeminence, right? It doesn't just mean like Jesus is at the top of a list and there's a bunch of things underneath him. It's saying, no, no, he's preeminent. He is the list, right? It's like if you're comparing a McDonald's cheeseburger to a Five Guys cheeseburger. There's no contest, right? It's, it's undecided. The, the difference is, is you can't compare it. And this is what Paul is saying is Jesus is preeminent. These people fell into worshiping themselves. They fell into glorying in their own works. And they also fell into the worship of angels, these sp other spiritual beings. Again, if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself or something else, and that's an idol, and the Colossians were right there for both. And church, if I would just say to you this morning that if we do not cling to Christ, if we don't hold fast to our head, if we don't see Jesus for who he is as the glorious, supreme creator, the one for whom and through whom all things were made, if we don't see Christ as preeminent, if we don't hold fast to him, then we're going to quickly find ourselves fall into idolatry as well. All right, look at verse 20. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. And Paul is telling them, he's saying, listen, you guys died to these things, right? Go back to verse 12. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, right? If you were buried with him, guess what? The assumption is that you died, right? We, we, only, we try to only bury dead people, right, for the most part. Uh, verse, verse 13 says, And you were dead, but God made you alive together with him. 
And Paul's point to the Colossians is that in Christ, they've died to the things of this world, right? They've died to the human traditions and teachings. They've died to the elemental spirits and powers. They have no rule over them. They've died to the worldly regulations, those things according to human precepts and teachings and traditions. Those things have no power over you. So, right, if true, and you have indeed died to those things and been made alive in Christ, why does it seem like you're still alive in the world? Why does it seem like you're still looking to things outside of Christ? Why are you still looking to things according to human tradition and teaching? He says, you died to those things. Stop submitting to them. So whether it's trusting in our own works and glorifying in our own self-deprivation and using that as a basis to judge others or trusting in something outside of ourselves other than God, it's idolatry. And Paul is also clear that if you fall into this legalism, this false humility, that it will also lead you to a false pride and arrogance without reason. And I would say this morning that if your first inclination in, in church, if you walk in church and your first inclination is to judge other believers and to question their salvation on the basis of human works, my question to you would be, have you forgotten the head? Because there is one who will judge. And he will not judge based upon what you do or what I do, but he will judge based upon what he did. Are you holding fast to him? See, when we don't hold fast to Jesus, we will fall into idolatry. Second, headless Christianity can also lead you into stagnation. Stagnation. Look back at verse 19. It says, And not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. And he says again that there were these false teachers. Um, they, were, they were not holding fast to the head. They were not clinging to Jesus. And so why is that a problem? Well, it's a problem because the head is what enables the entire body to be nourished and to grow. Have you guys ever, um, ever walked past some stagnant water? Yeah? Ever, ever walked past? Was, was that a pleasant experience? No. No, I had a, a buddy down the street. Um, I grew up in Durham, and my buddy Keenan, he lived down the street, and he had this little creek that flowed behind his house. And when it rained, it was nice, and there was a nice little flow to it, and it was kind of peaceful, kind of relaxing. Um, but when it hadn't rained, guess what? It stank. It was nasty. I mean, I, I'd be walking halfway down the street, and I'd smell it before I got there. Right? The, the, why? Because the water would just sit there. Because it had no external force pushing it further downstream. And church, I would say the same thing can happen to us as Christians. If we don't cling to Christ, we will stagnate. And we'll become, if you will, stinky Christians. Why? Because we have no external force pushing us further downstream. We've cut ourselves off from the source of life. And it's not just that you get stinky and stale, but you won't grow. Because you've, you've, clung to, you've, you've not clung to the only thing that can actually produce godly growth in your life. And that wording is key. Because not all growth is good. Listen to me, not all growth is good. You can experience growth that's not desirable. You can get growth in your nose and your ear, your ear hairs. That's not real fun. 
You can, get, uh, you can get growth in your gut, as my son pointed out earlier. You can, uh, you can get growth in a cancer or a tumor, right? Not all growth is good for you. What we should desire is the growth that comes from God. And that can only happen in so much as we cling to Christ, who is the head, who brings the growth. You say, man, I, just, I don't see any growth happening in my life. Like, like, why is God not doing anything? I just want to be more like Jesus, but it doesn't seem to be happening. Well, what are you clinging to? Are you looking to Christ? Are you, are you holding fast to, to the head? Are you looking to anything or trusting in anything else? Because I promise, if you eat McDonald's, you will see growth, but it's not going to be what you wanted. If you want to see growth in your walk of Christ, if you want to become more like Jesus, then we have to hold fast to him, right? He is the source of life. He is the one who creates and sustains us. He is the one who nourishes our body, and it is from him that we will receive growth. So if you're not looking to him uh, for growth, don't be surprised when you're not experiencing growth. He's the only one that can bring it. But if that is you this morning, and you're saying, you know what, Ryan, um, if I'm honest with you, yeah, my my walk of Christ, it has stagnated. I'm, I'm a stinky Christian. Um, i got some good news to you. You can change that today. You can change that right now. All you've got to do is just turn back to Jesus. All you've got to do is just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you to bring growth. I need you for nourishment. I need you to breathe fresh life into me. You know, we had some of our, um, some of our students come up um, at our joy lunch last week. And, um, and, and lead them in, in a couple songs, lead them in some worship. And, uh, and they, sang, um, they sang one of my favorite hymns, and, and maybe you're familiar with it, but I, w- I want you just to hear the words from the chorus. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And if that's you this morning, church, can I just encourage you, turn your eyes to Jesus. See him for who he is, right? See him as, as preeminent, as supreme, as gracious and glorious. And the more you look at him, the less you will see of the things of this world that are fighting for your worship. The more you look at Jesus, the freer you will become from worldly powers and regulations, which you've already died to. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Allow him to breathe fresh life and nourishment into your body today. And lastly, as we look at the danger of headless Christianity, it can lead you into idolatry. It can cause your spiritual walk to stagnate, and ultimately it will leave you and result in a powerless life. It will leave you in a powerless life. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And what we see here is that some of those ascetic practices of the Colossians, some of those things that they were beating themselves and depriving themselves of, was an attempt to combat sin. And so they would starve themselves so they wouldn't become gluttons. They would beat their bodies when they fell into sin or when they encountered sinful thoughts. Right? They, they were doing these things to help keep them from, from breaking the law. And this was a common practice you saw amongst monks. It was rumored once that there was a monk struggling with lust. And so he, he decided, my eye keeps causing me to sin. So he, he plucked his eye out so he would stop sinning. But he soon discovered that he couldn't turn his mind off. 
and his mind still relayed the same lustful images. One of the early church fathers, Origen, is recorded by the church historian Eusebius as having castrated himself to keep himself from sinning. And what Paul says is while these practices have an appearance of wisdom, although I'm not sure about the castration part, um, he, says, he says while they have an appearance of wisdom, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Translation, nothing you do has any power to keep you from sinning. Nothing. Doesn't mean there's not practical things, wise things we can do, like, hey, if you're an alcoholic and you're trying to stop drinking, probably stop hanging out at the bar. That's probably not a good idea. If you're struggling with lust and pornography, keeping a computer or an unmonitored phone behind closed doors, that's probably bad. If you're struggling with gossip, hanging out and spending all your time talking with the one person who you know loves to gossip, that's probably not going to help you. Right? There's wisdom principles that, we can, uh, that can come into play when we talk about resisting temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says that God is faithful. He will always provide a way out of temptation. And so some of those practical steps we just mentioned, that might be part of God providing a way out. But the key point is that none of these practices, none of them, none of these wisdom principles has any power whatsoever to keep you from sinning. At the end of the day, they're utterly powerless. And the only way, the only hope that you and I have of resisting sin is by clinging to Jesus. He is the head of the body. He is preeminent over all things. He is the one with all rule and authority and power. And he is the one who's already triumphed over this world. And so you say, man, I just I can't kick this sin and I keep going back to the sin. I don't know what to do. Are you clinging to Jesus? Are you running to him and asking for his strength and his power to combat your sin? Because if you're not, it's no surprise that you're not experiencing any victory over it. He is the only source of your power. Listen to me, church. Who's got, you got a phone? Anyone got a phone? Someone got a phone. Hold it up. Who's got a phone? I see one. I see that, Dylan. When your phone dies and the screen goes blank, you don't look at it confused. You say to yourself, this needs to be charged. It has to be connected to a power source. If you want to experience God's power in your life, you've got to stay connected to the source. You've got to cling to Jesus. Some of you all may know this, but um, we, we welcomed a new little baby girl into our home, uh, sweet Delaney June, or Della as we call her. Uh, so now, believe it or not, um, that, that's three. I'm a dad to the third power, right? Dad times three. Uh, but, but I got to thinking about my family, and, and I, re I realized that God has placed me as the husband to be the head of the family. God has placed me to bear the responsibility of providing, protecting, and, and, and ultimately um, caring for my family, leading them. And as I thought about the weight of that, and as I thought about how Adela and just how sweet she is, I thought about also just how completely and utterly dependent she is upon me and Emily. I mean, she's only six weeks old. And I promise you, if she was separated from us, if she was left on her own, it's not a possibility, but it's a certainty. She's going to die. Church, what I want you to hear this morning 
is that God is your heavenly father. And you are his child. He's the head of the family. But he loves you. He wants you to trust in him. He wants you to rely on his strength. He wants to give you his resources. But you've got to stay connected to him. Otherwise, you won't experience any growth. You won't receive any nourishment. And you'll be stuck in a perpetual, spiritually futile, powerless life. Like Mike the chicken, you might be alive, but you won't be living. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. I confess right now my own deep and desperate need of you. God, I pray that you would uh, lift us up by your spirit, that you would empower us uh, to hold fast to you, to not be distracted by the things of this world, but God, to cling to you and to beg you. God, I pray for growth. I pray for nourishment for those who are weak and weary. I pray for victory for those wrestling and battling sins. I pray for freedom and salvation for those who don't know you, God. I pray you would draw them to yourself today. God, we just love you and thank you for all you've done for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you guys to stand with us as we sing. We have a time now just to give back to God, to just declare his glories and his goodness. A time for you to reflect and pray if there's anything that God is leading you to do. Whatever it is, I pray that you all would just be sensitive to be obedient to whatever God is calling you to.
church, I want to thank you just for being here with us this morning. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us. Uh, I pray you'll have a blessed week. Y'all go in God's grace. Y'all go in God's love. Y'all take care. Got nothing.